the late actor and comedian George Burns was well sought out on the lecture circuit. Some of you remember he played the role of God in a series of, of films. But uh, he had this advice for speakers. He said, a successful talk should have a good beginning, a good ending, and very little space in between. <laughs> Unfortunately for you, I only read this this morning. <laughs> now, we could do a, a giveaway with this topic of success. After all, what does it have to do with finding God? Well, it has nothing to do with finding God. You find in religion and spirituality a wide spectrum of attitudes towards material success. We know that in our souls we are unconditioned, untouched by material success or failure and disappointment and so forth. And yet, as Krishna teaches us in the Bhagavad Gita, we can't achieve that transcendent, actionless, unconditional state by doing nothing, by being passive. One of the early challenges, there have been many, to Ananda as a spiritual work, as a community, indeed face this issue of energy, the hallmark characteristic of Dwapara Yuga. You know, I was thinking, when we use the word success, we usually think of it as material success. And I could dodge the bullet pretty easily and go on talking about spirituality and meditation. But of course, the speakers tomorrow would be very unhappy with me if I did. But I could dodge the bullet pretty easily at a spiritual retreat, but I just assume address it head on as best I'm able to, which is how does material success fit into the life of a devotee? You know, in Kali Yuga, which I find easy to imagine in images of the Middle Ages, medieval times, for the most part, material success was the byproduct of brutality and conquest, and by extension, being born into royalty and position and so forth. People were more or less stuck with what they were born into and had no other hope, and therefore, spirituality, religion, for the most part, and social life said, well, it's all whimsical, look to God for as a beggar and grace and so forth. There was nothing I can do about my life. As the early rays of Dwapara energy began to appear on the horizon, men, humanity, began to think in terms of what I can do. We had the Protestant revolt overthrowing, rebelling against the hierarchy and rigidity of of the Catholic faith at that time. At the same time, people began the age of exploration. But unfortunately, it took on the hallmark characteristic of Kali Yuga, conquest. And so several hundred years were spent in conquering the rest of the planet and dominating it. Then as the energy grew a little bit stronger and the energy put into the curiosity and domination of nature produced in science the Industrial Revolution, it also produced the yearning for personal liberty in the forming of this country, America. And with the Industrial Revolution, hallmark of success, translated into money. And money, finally, into the more recent century, translated into financial gain and wealth. 
And now we're on the brink in which we see currencies which have nothing behind them but fiat are in jeopardy. The welfare states of Europe are, are on the brink of losing their grip on the, you know, that song Swami sang the other night was charming about the benefits that we get. And oh, thank you, let me sign the forms. And America is with, has stood back a little bit anyway from that philosophy because we, we were born in the search for individuality and personal liberties and the innate knowing that we will sacrifice those for the benefits of being cared for is somehow deeply rooted in our culture. So we haven't gone quite as far. Nonetheless, we're moving into a time where success is characterized through the medium of information, transportation, communication. Because in this age of Dwapara energy, we will smash the barriers of, of space. But as we move forward, because we're only in the beginning, and speaking from the standpoint of consciousness, which is the root of all of these changes, is the sense of not being attached, of being adaptable. I know so few people today who are lifelong adherents to a particular career. I think of my grandparents and parents even and so forth. You did what you did for an entire life. Very few people do that these days. Even fewer aspire to do that. And so we're coming to a time of consciousness where success is the product of intelligence, of awareness, of creative self-initiative. And thus the spirituality of such a time is self-realization. It really is a perfect fit for our time, though it isn't particularly a new age. But energy is its basis. And I remember having a few early lessons when I was in college about this. By virtue of my own circumstances, I had some financial and family obligations during my college years, had to work. And I recall I would just take about anything. Um, I steam cleaned heavy equipment in the hot sun, and I uh, sold fire alarms door to door. I had a newspaper route at late in the middle of the night. I worked in retail stores and 7-Eleven type stores and would camp in the back on a cot that I carried from store to store as they were being transferred from owner to owner. I'd manage them for a few weeks and so on. But I looked around at my classmates and they'd always be grumbling. I, either I can't find a job or I don't like my job and so forth. And I felt fortunate just to stumble on, on the simple fact of take what's available Accept it with gratitude, give it your best, and it all works out for the best. I know in college, too, by my fourth year, I realized, you know, this isn't very difficult. All I had to do was show up to class, take copious notes, ask intelligent questions, and express a sincere interest in the topic and the teacher. It really wasn't that difficult. I sort of wish I could have patented it and <laughs> go from there. But here at Ananda, our challenge, after all, many of us were uh, of the 60s and so forth, turning our backs on the materialistic values of America at that time. And we associated, as many people do who seek the path of yoga and religion in general, often too, we associated peace, inner peace, with <clears throat> doing nothing, 
being lazy, going to the river, and all that kind of thing. Swamiji was both patient and at times, as necessary, firm in what we had to do. He worked very hard. He said there was a time when, because after all, he'd been a monk all of his life to date, and he said, I began to resent a little bit this need to make money to pay the mortgages here on the property. And so he encouraged the residents here to take up their share. I remember there was a candy-making business. I think Jyotish began a incense-making business. There was tree planting, of course, construction and related uh, building trades work that, that uh, many people had to learn from scratch. It was not easy. I, I recall we were so desperate after the fire and lost most of the homes here that we went somewhere and were taking classes in marketing, how to sell our books and anything else we could put our hands on. Swami once had the idea, um, one of the lesser successful ones apparently, but to cut the manzanita and see if we could sell the manzanita to department stores for making displays. Um, we tried just about anything and everything. I remember trying to keep up with him, he's many years older than I, but walking up and down the streets of Nevada City, marching, literally marching, looking for businesses we could buy in order to find employment for our residents. We looked at a uh, health food store, and we looked at a uh, what used to be called a soda fountain or an ice cream store, and uh, eventually we started a health food store and restaurant, and, and many people there worked without any wages for a while just to get it started. It took energy. And it takes energy. America is, is characterized by high energy. But like my 10-year-old grandson I spent a week with recently, he has a lot of energy, but uh, ain't too focused unless it's on sugar. Um, <laughs> so with energy needs to come a more sensitive awareness. But you know, when Yogananda came to this country, he came from a very different culture, a culture in which a spiritual teacher was respected and revered and supported and so forth. He, he said, here in America, I have to do all the work for the devotees, just as Swamiji in the early years of Ananda had to do all the work. He was greatly criticized, you know. Um, his lessons cost $25 in perhaps 1935 or so. I don't know what the factor is, but it's easily a 10 or a 20 uh, factor in today's time. In ancient times, and both in Christianity, I think um, somebody mentioned the other day the tradition of uh, bringing a dowry to the convent and so forth. But the tradition of bringing to the spiritual path, to the guru and so forth, um, your material, whatever wealth you had, whatever assets you have, represents for us symbolically converting the base metal of our lower self into the gold of our spiritual self. And offering that aspect to God is, of course, the basis of spiritual ceremonies around the world to convert uh, the food, the product of agriculture, or the product of our hands, offering it to God. So he, he had a, a difficult time, and yet he saw he had billboards with his picture on it. Um, he said, if Wrigley can advertise his gum on billboards, I can advertise good ideas to chew. And so 
He said, if Jesus Christ came again today, and I imagine a bit of a sparkle in his eye when he said that, he said he would employ sound business practices to sell his good ideas. And so it is we find that even in the spiritual work, it's, it's a, it can be appropriate with the right intention to employ whatever methods of communication in an age of great communication. It's, it's a challenge because there are those who associate material success, for example, the so-called Protestant work ethic, you know, in overthrowing the the old order at the time of the Protestant Revolt and the um, wave of energy that in which people are taking on, have taken on a sense of personal responsibility for themselves. There became the, you know, the virtue of hard work is nobody's going to argue with that. But just as Gyandev pointed out that that outward physical health should not be seen as the hallmark of spiritual achievement, so too it's a mistake to make a one-to-one -one identification of, of material success with spirituality. And yet, just as Yogananda said, how can you expect to win the love of God if you cannot win the love of, of your fellows, of other people? So too, to achieve the greatest success of all, of self-realization, it's not that spirit, as Sri Yukteswar said, it's not as if spiritual consciousness is incapacitating. I think of that charming story of Vrinda Bhagat in the uh, autobiography, the little humble postman who, uh, when all the other disciples were pestering Lahiri Moshai for the higher Kriya initiations, he um, motioned Brinda uh, to come forward and he asked Brinda, well, do you want the higher initiations? And as most of you know the story, Brinda said, oh no, uh, uh, Guruji, I can barely deliver my letters with the first initiation. In fact, he asked Lahiri for the grace to be able to fulfill his duties uh, as a consequence. But it's not incapacitating. Brinda was wise enough to know that if he had to be a postman to feed his family or whatever, he needed to do a good job at that simple task. And so it is. Um, I remember one time, uh, I, my background is in accounting and finance, and in the early years here at Ananda, we you know, had got our first computers and had that, those fan-folded pieces of paper that came out of the printers, chunk, 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 like this, right? And uh, so I spent much of my time doing the uh, uplifting and, and high-end work of fan-folding paper and tearing off the corners and putting it in binders and that sort of thing. So one day I was over at Swamiji's uh, office and we were chatting and something, and he's printing out something for me to read, and I'm just standing there, so I... I figured, well, I could fan-fold the paper. That's what I do all day. He comes, marches over. No, no, you fold it this way. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Precision in the smallest details. Success comes from taking one step at a time. But it involves courage, too. You, did you notice on Monday that Swamiji told the story of how Master looked at him and said, the other men here have disappointed me. You must not disappoint me. And how Swamiji said he knew uh, Master didn't mean in respect spiritually necessarily at all, but in terms of serving the work. 
I think he repeats that little story, has repeated it uh, in the last few years as a warning to us because he's shown us through his courage. I mean, look at 2003, how many years ago? Seven years ago at age 77 or whatever. He marches off to India to start a work there from scratch. Now he tells us he's going to march off at age 84 to Los Angeles here in just a few weeks. I remember when the uh, East-West Bookshop of Menlo Park first came up uh, for sale. I can tell you I was in the long line of people who thought it was a bad idea. But he bought it. And it, and it provided the basis of, of success in, on every possible level and a replication of other East-West bookshops over the years. At each turn, at each step, he has shown us the way of courage and service. After the fire here, when uh, our small amounts of rents that we paid, a portion of that had to go to keep the doors of the retreat open because we were losing money hand over fist, um, and some of the residents wanted to, to shut that subsidy down, which effectively would have shut the retreat down. Swamiji said, no, we must keep the doors of our heart and the doors of our hands in service to others open. At the same time, he announced he was going to go on a nationwide tour, taking, I don't remember how many people, maybe a dozen or more people with him, or from city to city, we had to borrow money, money we didn't have and couldn't afford, to do that nationwide tour. It did take us many years to pay that off. And yet, I can look around the room here today, and I know there are souls here, devoted souls, whose lives, lives were changed by that tour, who took up this new way of life as a result. And so it is that courage to follow our inspiration, to, to be careful not to let comfort uh, overtake us. He once said, Kriyananda once said, that our greatest test would in fact be material success. Because too often comfort substitutes for creativity and caution for service. And he's given us a wonderful example, both as a spiritual work, but more importantly, probably to each of us here individually, the courage to do our best, to give our best. I think of myself and so many people I see here today and others who, how many times in our lives here we had the opportunity, perhaps were asked, to do things we would never choose to do, things we never um, have ever done before. And yet I think person after person stepped up to bat. I remember when Padma, my wife, was asked by Swamiji to uh, come and help him start a new little business. We had Ananda Publications there uh, here at the time doing some of the books he had written in the earlier years, and really a handful only. And uh, he said, well, I have these six cassette tapes of me reading P.G. Woodhouse stories. Could we, you know, start a business with that? And she didn't have the foggiest idea what to do with it. But this joyful arts production association was in time to become Crystal Clarity Publishers. It took courage to just go out there and and uh, try to do something we've never done 
before. And that's been the lesson of Ananda. We've been blessed in that way to have that example. I was thinking that the Eightfold Path of Patanjali uh, is a wonderful way to think of eight stages of success. You know, the first stage, the stage of earth energy, teaches us to be focused and steadfast, to be loyal to what we've committed ourselves to do. Like they say so often out in the world around us, just show up. The first lesson of learning to work is to show up. And so often that's the foundation, to be steadfast. To, and nowadays many of us are, away in ter- are aware in terms of sustainability, or as the good doctors say, do no harm. Be sustainable in what you do in the career that you choose, in the work that you do. Harm no one. Be true to your highest principles. Let what you do somehow feed that higher self and values. Yogananda talked about it's important to find your right work. Now there's karma and there's yoga and then there's karma yoga. Doing just about anything can be karma. But And practicing yoga is to withdraw from outward activity. But karma yoga is to do that which makes us free. And some of our talents and inclinations also can be a guideline, he said, to what might be the right uh, way for us. At the same time, if we indulge those inclinations and ambitions and talents, they might, of course, feed the ego. The issue of ego versus creativity, of flow of energy, is at the root of the spiritual path of yoga. In no small measure was Swami Kriyananda dismissed from Self-Realization Fellowship because, as he put it, he was a volcano of creativity and inspiration and enthusiasm for sharing these teachings and, unfortunately, an unwelcome volcano. And so it is suppressing who we are and our ambitions and desires in that way isn't really the solution. Finding our predilections and uniting them to the star of our high ideals, however, can be a way of purifying our own karmic makeup. The second stage is is of course the niyama, the water element, which is you find successful careers and and, uh, businesses. I think when I went into business and learned accounting and finance, I purposely did so uh, for more than one reason, but one reason in the back of my mind was I knew that I could take that skill anywhere. It was adaptable, in other words. And to have skills that you can translate anywhere in the world, those of us who have committed our lives to the spiritual work of Ananda, we are now throughout the world. It's good to develop skills. Many of us who you know, weren't born into the digital age have been forced to learn um, technologies that don't necessarily come as naturally as it does to some of you who are perhaps younger, who seem to be, have been wired with what to do with a cell phone when, when you get one. One time, Swami Kriya, hello. Uh, Swami Kriyananda once was, uh, had called us and he said, I'm having trouble with my cell phone. I think he was in India or Italy or somewhere. And I said, Swamiji, 
look for the first 20-year-old who walks by on the street and hand it to them. <laughs> How is it they know? Well, it's called Dwapara consciousness. It's energy and it's intelligent, at least to that degree. And so it is, being adaptable, being willing to learn. Yogananda said that even if you enjoy what you do, and you should try to enjoy what you do, don't be smug. Look for new opportunities to advance yourself, even in the context of your work, in order to have greater How many people do I hear time and time again, week in, oh no, I don't want any more responsibility. That's too much work. Now, I understand their fears and concerns, but I don't think you really grow that way by choosing comfort over creativity. It's not really the spiritual path. If you can even imagine what it would be like to be omnipresent or infinite, you're going to be pretty skilled. There won't be anything you can't do, like when Yogananda um, was unsatisfied with the painter who tried to paint, um, who was it, Lahiri Mahashai? Anyway, he said, come back in two weeks. He was very artistic, and his mother was very gifted, but in two weeks he produced a painting which he showed to the artist, which the artist had to admit was better than his own. So to put your mind, your willpower, to be able to adapt and do new things. In the third level, the element of fire, is that creativity that can be practiced when washing the dishes, when doing the simplest tasks, to do things consciously. Dr. Lewis once said that he didn't think that, that uh, Yoganandaji ever did anything um, subconsciously. You, uh, Kriyananda said, even tie his shoes? Well, that's hard to know exactly, but, but why not? Why not do everything that you do completely fresh? It opens up a new vista of energy. And we see a great deal of that here at Ananda. On the fourth level, akin to the heart center, of course, and this is a hallmark characteristic of the way we try to live here at Ananda and in our communities around the world, which is to see everything we do as service. Kriyananda's very, by now, famous advice to the, um, those who started the first East-West bookshop in Menlo Park, he said, befriend your customers. They will teach you what you need to know. And I, I've always enjoyed the story he tells of when he came up to an airline desk overburdened with baggage and the fellow before him had just been irate and chewing the clerk out and so forth. And Kriyananda knew his baggage was way more than the other fellows. And he just, as he is in his heart, in his center, smiled and saw this clerk as his friend. And as they chatted and processed his tickets and so forth, he kept putting one thing on the back after the next. Oh, just, a, just off he went, you know, just not a word was sent and he made a friend. Isn't it wonderful to think of making friends? I, um, in my, one of my early lessons in my work, in my work experience was, uh, was an Italian man, Gallardi, I think was his name. He owned hundreds of hundreds of apartment units in San Jose. And the secret of his success charming old fellow uh, that he was, was he, he loved his tenants. He was friends with his tenants. He always kept his rents below the market so people you know, wanted to stay there. He kept his buildings neat and tidy and so forth. 
he saw his customers as friends. Another man I met was one of the early founders of Silicon Valley, before it was called Silicon Valley. He had one business after another in technology that he started, took public. Some went broke and some made him millions. And I handled his taxes and his, his investments and so forth. You wouldn't know him from anybody else. He had an old car and he came dressed in street clothes. He was, he was just an ordinary person. He loved everybody. He was a hard-driving man, hard-working man. But he, and he expected the highest from his employees, but he was friends with everybody. It's really not that complicated, but it does take energy. On the throat center, the, the next stage, of course, is aligns with the Hong Sa technique of concentration. Isn't it true that one of the hallmark issues of our age is memory loss and inability to focus? Meditation can teach us, help us, to concentrate. At the negative pole here is, of course, the egolessness, getting rid of the I. I saw this cartoon in the New Yorker recently. I shared with some of you in Seattle, this uh, man sitting at a bar, down and out. A lot of bar jokes today, anyway. It really doesn't fit the scene here, but <laughs> make for some great jokes. So, um, as they say in Italy, better to lose a friend than the opportunity to tell a good joke. And so uh, this guy sitting at the bar, you know, four-day stubble and hungover and patron next to him, he says to him, I'm just down and out. I'm nothing, he said. And yet, all I think about is me. And so, <laughs> and so it is. That me is our greatest enemy. When we make service, attention to detail, quality of life, and love for others, our focus, love for God and Guru, then that I is subsumed in the great symphony of life, of Om. And here at the spiritual eye, if we can live more and more, especially through meditation, bringing what we do for inspiration at the point between the eyebrows, living by the light of wisdom and inspiration. And the product of all of those stages is the enduring quality of bliss, of joy, and it is by that attention to detail, that desire to do well in everything we do, that we will find God. Yogananda's most advanced disciple, Rajasi Janakananda, Saint Lin, a self-made millionaire, born to achieve liberation and born to endow Yogananda's work. One time he came up to Yogananda, put on one side stock certificates, the other side, certificate, bond certificates, asked Yogananda, which would you like, sir? Yogananda looked at him, smiled, both. <laughs> Sing in the meadows and everywhere. Sing out a blessing to everyone. Lift up your voices, lift your hands on high. Sing and the battle is won. Please join me. Sing in the meadows and everywhere. Sing out a blessing to everyone. Lift up your voices, lift your hands on high. Sing and the battle is won. Sing out a blessing to everyone. Sing out a blessing to everyone. 
Lift up your voices, lift your hands on high. Sing and the battle is won. One more time. Sing in the meadows and everywhere. Sing out a blessing to everyone. Lift up your voices, lift your hands on high. Sing and the battle is won. Sing.